Anybody has any questions? Um, well, well, let me kind of tell you how you just go. Unless you've, if you have not been to one of our Pathways uh, meetings before or listening sessions, um, we, um, Pastor Harvey will be speaking first, and he'll speak. He'll have um, as long as he needs. We say five um, thirty minutes. Don't get long-winded. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, and then we'll have 30 minutes of question and answer. Pastor Andy and I will come around to you and we'll do the tonight show kind of thing like that. Uh, and it does, if, if you're one of those people that says, my voice is loud enough, I don't need a microphone, it's not necessarily for you. We're, we're recording this, so, so humor us and speak into the, to the microphone again. Uh, if you have a question to ask, we love for you to ask a question uh, to the person who's, uh, who's speaking tonight. If you have a speech to make, do that at another time. <laughs> um, and, uh, but so, so that we can kind of keep it within the time frame. And then we'll have a break. There are refreshments in the hallway, which are provided for us tonight. And then at um, about 7.15, we will reconvene for our second speaker of the evening, uh, Reverend Kevin Thomas, who's the uh, pastor at Forest Lake United Methodist Church in Tuscaloosa. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for blessing us with the gift of another day. I pray your blessings on this gathering tonight. I pray for the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to permeate everything that we do and every decision that we make. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good evening. You got me on back there? I think you do. Good to see you. It's wonderful to be here again in this beautiful, beautiful sanctuary. It feels kind of like a Thursday evening worship service. So those of you who came to Thursday evening. No, I never had this many, but anyway, that's right. But we're glad you're here. Uh, I'm emotional for various and sundry reasons. I hadn't slept very much over this, but... Uh, I am grateful to come and be a part and share my heart, and that's what I'm going to do. Um, most of us don't want to be in this place uh, of where we're at as our church, and, uh, and I as well don't like it, but we are. Reality is we've got this crossroads. So let's pray just a moment. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask for your mercy upon all of us. We repent, I repent from all the ways that we have not glorified you. God is, we prayed earlier, God give us wisdom as we seek your will. Jesus, we know in the word you came full of grace and truth. We are eternally grateful. We are eternally grateful for the grace and truth you've extended to us. Help us, Holy Spirit. Help us, Holy Spirit, to live our lives with grace and truth as our guide. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the strong Son of God. Amen. I know you have a vote tomorrow night. That's where you're at in your place. Leicester Memorial, where I'm serving now, we will not have our vote until November the 6th. Uh, I'm happy for you <laughs> that you can go ahead and, and move on because I know it's the topic of conversation in so many uh, circles that we're in. And uh, so I'm happy for you that tomorrow night you can go ahead and have that vote and then, and then move on. Around 35 years ago, I heard a quote from a preacher. It caught my attention. 
And it was like, you know, the Lord said, this is important. You need to remember this. I don't remember what the sermon was about, but the quote was this. The church is never at her best when she's voting. And I, I remembered that. A lot of truth in that statement. But yet there comes a time when the, the church, whether it be locally or abroad, and of course we know it's worldwide with us as United Methodists, comes a time when the church has to vote on certain issues when there's strong enough disagreement that hinders our witness. And so uh, again, we've, we've seen it go f every four years and, and I think for many of us just thought it would go away again and now it hasn't. Um, I also realized that for most of us, and I've watched people including myself, there's a period of grief that we're going through too and you will continue to experience that. Um, when we leave a church and we go away, we experience grief. So when we know that friends that we sat in the pew with will not be there anymore, there's a certain amount of grief that goes with that. Tears, sometimes frustration. Just be aware of that. Um, Sam and I both know when we leave a congregation, we pour our heart into their lives and then you leave. And it does take a few months to get, get over the grieving process. So you're going to go through some of that regardless of the outcome of the vote tomorrow night. Um, I don't have any handouts. Can I get amen? <laughs> You've got so much information, you don't need any more handouts. And uh, most of you already know how you're going to vote. Most of us have been given more materials and more videos than we can humanly handle. So I, I, I bless you tonight by not bringing any more handouts. Um, out of respect to Pastor Sam and Pastor Andy Yarnell and Mark Condra, uh, I want to share my heart on my matters that we're dealing with. Down gut level, in, in our hearts and in our emotions, many of us wish we were not at this place, and yet we are. It didn't happen overnight. It has been going on for a while. Some of the dates we can go back and say, well, 50 years as United Methodists heightened it more over 30 years and 20 years and then in the last just six it seemed like it just rampantly came and then COVID and the protocol and all the other information and then paragraph 2553 you've read all about it no one will win no one will win all we can do is pray and hope that possibly Romans 8:28 that says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. So regardless of what happens, God's purposes and plans, they will be fulfilled. Hopefully we can just keep ourselves humble enough before God to stay in his plans and his purposes. And believe and hope that God will bless Whatever split off happens or whatever many denominations occur, that still the bottom line is that we can make disciples of Jesus Christ because that's ultimately the great commission, the great commandment are still going to read the same after tomorrow night. I still believe in a traditional approach to the scriptures and so I know part of mine is to share why I feel like I, I can't stay UMC anymore. Um, our Wesleyan understanding, and part of this I'm sharing with you, you've already heard, but 
Our Wesleyan understanding to the Bible, you know, dates back 250 years. So I'm standing in a part of that tradition. I grew up in a Methodist church. Wasn't United Methodist when I was little. It came that later. But so when I answered the call to preach, and uh, I didn't immediately stay in the United Methodist Church, although I grew up in it, started preaching a lot of different revivals and different denominations for almost two years, which I'm grateful for. But I always carried the same thing when I went to whatever denomination it was. It didn't matter. I, the Bible didn't change. So we know that about 1784 was the first conference. It's called the Christmas Conference. And so 230-something years of scriptural holiness that was preached and revival broke out across the United States and really around the world because it already occurred in England. So we go back 250 years of tradition that I, we stand in. And, and then you, you go back another 2,000 years to Jesus. And so for me, my greater concern is for scriptural authority in the long run. Isaiah 40 is a passage that I preached on. Our associate pastor, Joe Hasing, we preached on it for about five or six weeks to begin this year. Not knowing what all was going to happen this year, but it was Isaiah the 40th chapter, verse 8. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. We know Jesus said that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And so I believe it's important that regardless of where the boat is or whatever decisions that we stick to scriptural authority as best we know it and understand it. As far as human sexuality and sexual sin, they've been around for a while, all the way back to the book of Genesis. Sex was God's idea in Genesis, the second chapter, before the fall, which happened in chapter three. But then God set boundaries within the Bible through the Old and the New Testament for sexuality to be between a man and a woman in marriage. I'll read it to you in Genesis 2, and again, you know it. Genesis 2, 23 and 25, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now, we know that passage, and then I'm going now to the New Testament, because Jesus quoted that. So he goes back, and he quotes what was said in Genesis. He does this in Matthew 19, and perhaps again, you've read this, you've heard this. The Pharisees also came to Jesus. They were testing him, and they said to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? He answered and he said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? So he's referring back. He who made them made them male and female. And said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined unto his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So he quoted in Genesis. So we know that Jesus quoted from the Old Testament often from the book of Deuteronomy more than any other, but from the Psalms, and so that gives the Old Testament legitimacy 
It gives it authenticity because he quoted from it. So he quotes from Genesis this statement, for this reason the man shall leave his father and mother, join his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one. Therefore what God hath joined together, let not man separate. So God was giving his best to us. Jesus again was giving guidance to it. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce to put her away? He said to them, Moses did because of the hardness of your hearts. Permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality marries another, they commit adultery. And whoever marries her who's divorced commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it is it better not to marry. Jesus then says something about abstinence and celibacy. Again, it all opened up with a question about husband and wife and divorce, but then he quotes in the Old Testament, and then he ends by saying, he said to them, all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. Again, God by his spirit gives us boundaries and guidelines, but he also gives us his spirit to help us stay within these boundaries. And thank God he's a God of forgiveness because all of us go outside those boundaries in some form or another. The Bible also speaks about heterosexual sin as well. It's not just about homosexual sin that it speaks. And yes, we interpret it differently, but I can only speak to where I'm at on it. I go back to Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And you know that what it says in there, and my wife sitting here, I, I'm often convicted by the fact that have I loved my wife as Christ has loved the church. And so he gives an example between a man and a woman and the bride of Christ and, and Jesus and the groom. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. They quote back again to Genesis, the second chapter. Leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, it goes back to the husband and wife. Nevertheless, each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I often tell men when I do premarital counseling that nine times in that passage it tells the man to love his wife and what, what wife would not love her husband if we loved like that? That's a whole other sermon. God references in the Bible for marriage are between a man and a woman. For over 2,000 years, sexuality has been seen in the church as a gift from God exclusively for a man and a woman within the covenant of marriage. There is nothing in Scripture to to dispute that belief. Those things are in the Bible. It tells us in Romans, the first chapter, it does talk about homosexuality. This is a strong statement. I say it in love and in grace. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of this error which was due. 
But then there's also heterosexual sin that is just as bad, and, and I agree with those who, who are struggling with homosexuality and sexual identity that, okay, let's talk about heterosexual sin. There's some of that too. Well, Jesus covered that as well. This is something he said in Matthew 5. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 27, 28, and 29, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I won't ask for a show of hands, perhaps, of some of us who have committed adultery in that way. So yeah, that's sin too. That's heterosexual sin. God gave us these boundaries and guidelines because he loves us. Jesus went on to say, after saying that, if a man looks at a woman to lust after her already has committed adultery in her heart, he said, if your right eye causes you to sin, then pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for the whole body to be cast into hell. So those are strong words about heterosexual sin. I memorized the following when I was about 15 or 16 years old. This may seem weird, but I was struggling with heterosexual sin and issues in my own life. And so I memorized this from Billy Graham. My mom and dad had ordered Decision magazine, and I saw that Billy Graham spoke about sexuality, so I wanted to read on it. And so... I think I quoted this probably in a sermon when I was your pastor here. I can't remember for sure, but this is what he said, and I memorized it. Nowhere does the Bible suggest that the battle between the flesh and the spirit is easy. Nowhere. Nowhere does the Bible suggest that the battle between the flesh and the spirit is easy. Nor does the Bible suggest that to be tempted is sin. Or that it is abnormal to experience sexual hunger. But the Bible does teach by precept and example that there are spiritual resources that we can use to overcome our illicit urges. And I had to look up the word illicit. I still have to look it up. It means not allowed or not permitted urges that we have. So God knows that again, he created sex. He, he, he made us that way. The same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead comes inside of us to help us overcome all kinds of struggles. Not just sexual struggles, but temptations towards sin, which we've all committed. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we all have these struggles, but the Holy Spirit helps us. He produces within us fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and meekness and gentleness and self-control. Now, we can quench the Spirit and grieve Him, and we all do it. But our goal would be to humble ourselves back to Him and ask Him to help us. And I would admit to you that we need to offer better help for those struggling with sexual identity and sexual sin. God has given us guidelines, and He's given us boundaries because He loves us and He cares about us. God wants what is best for us. I go on and share another passage with you in 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, and then verses 18 through 20. 
Now, some of the Greek words can be translated differently, but there are several that deal with sexuality, both heterosexual, homosexual, they're mingled in there, and there are other things like idolatry and theft, and let me just read it to you, but I'm, please hear the verse after it. 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, verses 9 through 11, and then verses 18 through 20. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, could be translated differently, nor sodomites, which can be translated differently, where we get Sodom and Gomorrah, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Then he says this, and such were some of you. Well, he's talking about all of us. We've all committed some form of these sins that are mentioned here. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. He goes on to tell us in verse 18, flee sexual immorality. I don't know what that means to you. The word flee means run sometimes. Why is he telling us that? Because he loves us. Flee, run from sexual immorality. Every sin that a human commits or does is outside the body, but he or she who commits sexual immorality sins against his or her own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Again, which are spiritual helps that God wants to help us to deliver us, to restore us. We all know the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Nobody in the universe can do that but Jesus. He's the only one that can restore our soul. All of our souls need restoring. All of us. Sexual sin of any kind can be forgiven. Sexual sin is not the unpardonable sin. Jesus tells us what the unpardonable sin is in Matthew 12. And I just say that again because it's not the unpardonable sin. You can be delivered, redeemed, restored. Jesus said in Matthew 12, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. That includes everything, but the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the son of man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever rejects or speaks against or blasphemes the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him or her either in this age or in the age to come. That's the unpardonable sin. I'm just saying that so that if any of us think that a person can't be forgiven of any sexual sin, thank God they can that again is the grace of God and the love of God that he gives us. Uh, condemnation of an action does not equal hate for an individual. I've never hated anybody because of their sexual preferences. I know I've been accused of that, but I don't. I'm a sexual sinner myself. 
I know that I need to be redeemed and stored, and I know that every other human needs it as well. I can disapprove of something without that meaning that I hate those involved in that action. I use my own children as an example. There are things that your children have done and made choices they made, and you disagreed with them. But you didn't hate them. You still loved them. Both of my children made decisions that they shouldn't have made, and I didn't agree with them. And it caused a lot of confusion and pain in our home. And you know I'm referring to our son, Dave. But I never stopped loving him, but I disagreed with him. So yes, we need to better love people even if we disagree with them. This past Sunday I preached at, am I about up? Um, I preached at our church about the Word of God. The example that I shared was that our sanctuary will be 100 years old. In 1923 it was built. And so the cornerstone says Lester Memorial Methodist Church, 1923. And so we're trying to figure out, okay, do we have a 100-year celebration? We come to find out, one of our history teachers, he pulled up all the old Southern Democrat magazines and found out that underneath the, the cornerstone in 1923, they put a time capsule. Well, I, I wanted to read about it, and so we did. We looked at it, and... There was a Bible placed in there. There was a discipline, which has changed almost 25 times since then, or it had the potential to change every four years if you do the math. So a discipline was in there, and uh, all the members' names of the church were in there. They've all died. I asked for anybody here who was there in 1923 yesterday, and nobody stood up. <laughs> so they've all died off. They're not there anymore. All the preachers, they put names of all the local preachers inside there. I really want to dig it up and, and look at it and see if it's distorted or not. They had photographs, various and sundry advocate, Christian advocate. They put a lot of them in there. There's a whole bunch of stuff. But at the end of it all, what I said was the only thing in there that has not changed, the only thing in there that was timeless was the Bible. And so... For me, as a pastor, my reason is regarding scriptural authority. I just think we'll be better off in the long run if we'll stick with the Bible. And I know we don't all agree with what it says. I get that. But for my sake, I have to continue to preach what I believe to be truth. I use this passage and just remind you of a couple of these. I've already shared with you Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass is going to wither, the flowers will fade, but the word of our God endures forever. All scripture, and this is Paul writing to Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, just God breathed. Some translations say that, I like that. God's word is God breathed. It is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the woman of God or the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then I go back to one last thing, and that is from John, the first chapter. 
We can only, in our minds, comprehend this in faith. We come to it and believe it. It's deeper than I'm able to fully understand. But faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. And then you know the famous John 1:14. You may have it memorized, you'll remember it. It's why we celebrate Christmas. And the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came full of grace and truth. We need both. We can't live without either one of them. And he came in grace and truth. He is the word. All things were created through him, for him, and by him. And so we know that in him is the word. He is the word of God. Again, I just think it's best in the long run, even though it may be painful, is to stick with the word of God as has been handed down to us for 250 years from our own Wesleyan heritage, but then all the way back to Jesus for 2,000 years. And so here we are again. Nobody's going to win. We're all going to grieve over this. It's all going to be painful at some point, and it's not going to be the same. Everything's going to change. But the only thing that will last and stay and remain is the Word. And so may God help us to live out our lives in both that grace and in that truth of which Jesus is. And may God Almighty help us to keep that balance between the two. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Um, raise your hand. You got your microphone, Andy? All right. Raise your hand if you have a question for Pastor Harvey. This feels kind of like a, a, a service, Harvey, and I usually don't allow for questions after, yeah, <laughs> after right. I preach. That's right. No, if you have a question uh, about, it, about any of this stuff, raise your hand. Andy's coming. I know I'm very naive. I always have been. And I've struggled with this for a long time. But when you see and you hear things in the news and children that are, have come into the world and then they start leading, leaning toward another personality, And they really don't even know what's going on. But then as they grow older and people start shunning them, there have been some young people that have taken their lives because they can't take it anymore. And I certainly would not want to, to be, you know, hurt anyone. I don't condone it. But for my struggle is... I just want to be able to love everybody and not hurt them in any way. So how do we deal with children 
I guess I'm not making any sense. No, you are. You're making sense. But it's hard to know how to deal with people. It's extremely hard. When it seems like they really don't have any control over it. Yeah. And that's true not only in sexuality, but in a lot of things. People are born with certain tendencies and struggles that they have. Hurts, habits, and hang-ups. I like celebrate recovery because we've all got hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And uh, love covereth a multitude of issues and struggles and sins in our lives. So yes. And by the way, I've been called naive quite often, so I'm naive too about things. But yes, that balance between the great commandment, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and the mind, and to love thy neighbor as thyself. So that's why I said earlier, yes, we need to do a better job of ministering to these that are truly wounded and hurting and struggling. And no hate and anger is not going to help. And so where the perfect balance is, God help us to find that. Yeah. She's afraid I won't stop talking. Have you ever heard a homosexual minister deliver a sermon? Have I ever heard a homosexual minister deliver a sermon? I don't, I don't think so. I guess not. Yeah. No. Yes. Yes. I have. Yeah. And the message they gave is pretty much yours. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what we're afraid of. And in the Methodist Church, we've always accommodated differences of opinion and different interpretations of Scripture. Right now, you're not the only Methodist minister that has an interpretation of the scripture you read. Yeah. But you differ from something. Is that true? Yes. In the Methodist church, we've always had a chance to have opposing opinions and therefore a good chance at coming to maybe a good conclusion. It helped us educate one another. Yeah. Why are we separating and not remaining in the church with differences of opinion. One of the Wesleys, I don't know whether it was John, Charles, or Ralph. Said, it was Ralph. It was Ralph. Developed the term that we can agree disagreeably. Yes. I believe it originated from a Methodist yeah. founder. And I'm having a hard time understanding why yeah. we've come to this point. Yeah. I, you're not alone. I think all of us are. And I think that, of course, it. The disagreement's been going on for a long time. It's just now it's come to a head. And, and I think it's beyond what even we can figure out tonight in one night. It's going to happen, whether we want it to or not. You know, I, I hate it. Y'all are going to have a vote tomorrow night, and we're going to have one on November the 6th. And we're, we're getting a divorce. Yeah. That's going to happen. Yeah. The vote's only going to determine who's going to get the house. Yeah. 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 It will. But the Word of God will remain faithful. It'll stay true. We'll still have difference of opinions about it. I don't think we can ever avoid that as long as we broken humans are a part of it. Um, so, but again, to disagree doesn't mean that we hate one another. We just disagree. But some of the disagreements have become so strong that now we're at this crossroads and I don't know how, it's, how we can avoid it. Harvey, when you become pastor of a global United Methodist Church, 
if you had a bisexual child come in for confirmation in fifth or sixth grade, would you confirm that child? I would bless that child no matter what. Jesus said, let the children come unto me for such belongs the kingdom of God. And so I, I would bless that child either way, but I would also counsel with the, you talk about a child, a small child. Well, a youth, yeah, fifth, yeah. sixth grade. And we have some at our church right now that are struggling. We did when I was here. And uh, to my knowledge, we never told anybody they couldn't go through confirmation. You use the word confirm. But I would still bless that child. But if the parents brought them in, then I would want to talk to them like I would any couple. And I've had couples who were living together that I encouraged them to first make a decision about marriage before you brought that child before the Lord. But I still would bless that child just simply because none of us have a choice of who we're born to. So you would let that child become a member of the Global Methodist Church that you're pastoring? Well, I don't know that I'll be in the Global Methodist Church. Okay. But, well, but if in I, any, in any, in any Methodist, capacity that you are the pastor of yeah. whatever the church is called, would you allow a bisexual child to become a member in the church you're pastoring? I still would allow that because, again, I would want to counsel with a child and talk with them and love them through it, but I still would tell them what I believe to be the truth and that the Lord could help them through their struggles. Okay, someone else have a question? No, when you mention the global method, our church hasn't decided, you know, if they, well, first off, we have to vote. But they're wrestling with it just like many churches have. They've looked at different denominations, free Methodist, um, global Methodist, the Wesleyan Church. We've talked with them, the Wesleyan. We've talked with uh, Church of the Nazarene. And so there are other Wesleyan expressions of faith that have different rules and regulations. So, I just want to know to what extent that this uh, leadership thing is going. Uh, for instance, if we have a gay usher who also takes up collections, is he going to have to get rid of his role? <laughs> if you have someone taking up offering or something? Offerings and, offerings and, uh, and ushering. That, no. his, that is his role as a leader in his capacity. I think that that will continue to be allowed because we want those who are struggling with issues of homosexuality to come to church. We want people that are cheating on their spouses to come to church. We want people that are cheating on their taxes to come to church. We want people that are lying to come to church. So, you know, if we started narrowing it down, then nobody would get to take up the offering. I guess is kind of what I'm saying. You know, there would be a... I wasn't talking about trust. Yeah. I wasn't talking about trust. Right. I was talking about, uh, in other words, whether trusting or not. No. Yeah. I, I just think that uh, we... Where does it stop? Yeah. You know, where does it stop? Because a person who is in that role certainly would not want to lose his role if he's already there. Yeah. And this vote comes down to, so yeah. will he lose that position? Well, I don't think so, but I, I can't answer that because we don't, that hadn't all been worked out yet, but yeah. This is more or less a short I'm an artist. I have dealt with many in the selling my art. 
plus um, worked in a florist, and me and the owner were the only straight people in the room, in the building. They, like anybody who has sinned or whatever, they can change their minds. I mean, just because they're doing something now doesn't mean they're going to do it later. And I can't imagine them being shut out of a church ever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, does anybody else have some, something that looks like a question? All right, so we will go ahead and, and, and dismiss now, and um, I will give you t uh, time to talk with each other, and um, refreshments are right out here, and if you need refreshments, and y'all know where the bathroom, I know all y'all know where the bathrooms are. So uh, let me just uh, say a prayer, and then we'll, we'll transition, and we'll reconvene here at 7.15, okay? Uh, Lord, I pray your, your grace upon us as we have some time to take a deep breath. And, and Lord, I pray that um, the words of all of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. In Christ's name, amen.